Our Bible reading this evening is from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way uh, thanks, Simon, very much. And uh, I wonder, um, Mark, do you think you could get some water? There was some here this morning, but someone tidily fished it away. But, uh, let's, um, let's pray and ask for God's help with this. Lord, that's an amazing passage. And we pray, Father, very much that you would uh, speak to us through this tonight. Warm our hearts, we pray, and help us to help us to pray because that's what Paul is doing as he uh, writes this particular bit. So please help us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I wonder if you um, look back over the last couple of days and review your prayers for, thank you very much, uh, for Christian friends of yours. I wonder what you asked God for. Uh, maybe you used the prayer diary. Here we are, there's uh, November's prayer diary. And this morning uh, we have that we were down to pray for Tom, Naomi, Poppy and Patrick Fry. Maybe you don't know them, or maybe you know them quite well. But what did you pray for them, assuming you used the prayer diary, uh, say, this morning? Or perhaps you've been uh, looking through the, uh, the BH News, and just here it says, please pray for, and... So you may well this week say have been praying for Mary Frost, Diane Clark, Martin White, Lacey Huffenden, Anna Hancock, Mavis Heyman, uh, Mayanna, Norma Savory, Jenny Steer and Sue Puttock. What did you pray for them? Well, we're going to have a look uh, at Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And we're going to see what Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. Now, we reckon that he would have known probably some of them, but most likely not all of them. 
And the things that we will tend to pray for each other would be things like, uh, well, for instance, the people on the list in here, I'm sure we'd we'd have been praying that God would comfort, God would heal people, make them better, God would draw close and strengthen people and so on. Maybe for other friends who we have, uh, we would be praying perhaps for a job interview and that would go well, they'd be able to be relaxed and give a good account of themselves or uh, maybe someone we know is applying for uni and uh, and as that comes up, we pray that the Lord would overrule in those things as well. Or maybe we've been praying for someone very poorly and we have been asking the Lord that there would be a peaceful end as they head for glory. And those are all good and right things to pray for. They really are. But the striking thing as we read the New Testament and when we see examples of New Testament Christians praying, they hardly ever pray for those things. They hardly ever pray for the kind of things that we pray for. So we're going to, uh, uh, well, I've, I've headed this, get praying properly. If you're listening to this online, properly is in uh, uh, inverted commas and uh, with an exclamation mark at the end because that is kind of, it's a bit tongue in cheek. And I'm sure we do pray properly. But I want us to have a look at our own prayers tonight and to uh, line them up maybe just a wee bit more with the way that uh, the Apostle Paul and lots of other Christians in the New Testament pray so that we could pray a little bit more in quotes properly, okay? Tongue-in-cheek slightly. Now, it's another great passage. We're going to look at two things. Uh, first of all, how to pray and then what to pray for. So, first of all, let's have a look at um, how to pray. Oh, isn't that lovely? That's an animation. You missed that one. Should we go back? Well, you'll see it a couple of more times anyway. How to pray. How to pray. And uh, so uh, this is the manner in which we pray. And there are three things we see here from verses 15 to 17. And, um, uh, but first of all, can we just say, well, what is praying? How would we define this great thing that we do, I would hope, every day, certainly every service here? Well, John Bunyan, while he was imprisoned in Bedford for his faith, he wrote a little book on prayer, which has not got the most natty title because he called it Praying with the Spirit and with Understanding Also. Never finish a book title with the word also, okay? Um, It wouldn't sell so well. But anyway, here we are quoting it, so it can't be that bad. And uh, he defined healthy prayer as a sincere, fervent, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. That's what prayer is. It is, a, it is a pouring out of our hearts to God, helped by the Spirit, for things that God has promised us in the Bible for the good of the church. But in what manner should we pray? How would the Lord love us to be praying? Um, if someone else could be a fly on the wall, say when you're having your quiet time tomorrow at some point, um, probably in the morning, then, uh, uh, and we're on our own, how would they describe our prayers? Well, when, when we were in Lowestoft, there was uh, a guy there called um, Dr. Watson. He was Scottish, and he was a medical doctor who had been a missionary in China. 
And uh, when, uh, oh, actually I had the huge privilege of being one of those who lowered him to his final resting place on the Scottish hillside after he died. But when David prayed, well it was one of those wonderful moments. It was one of those kind of heaven moments. Uh, and when he started, uh, you knew he'd, uh, he would go on a bit. So you could go and make a cup of tea and come back and he'd still be praying. Um, but you never would do that because you just want to listen to this man pray. There was a, an intimacy to his prayers, an awed respect, a humility, a thankfulness, a persistence, a biblically founded godliness. You just didn't want him to stop. And that's uh, one reason, for instance, why we can pray, we can learn from the old saints and the way that they pray. So it's a really good thing, for instance, to come to the prayer meeting that's on Wednesday week. Um, but also in that, why not come and sit with someone who is a lot older than you so that you can learn from how they pray and you can just enjoy the way that they pray because uh, they've probably known the Lord a lot longer than you have. So uh, the first thing is you can see on the screen there, thoughtful. That's how, that's how Paul is praying here. He's actually rather thoughtful about it. Look at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, for this reason... Now, um, he begins, what, well, well, Paul, what, what reason is that? Well, it's the reason he outlined in last week's sermon, basically, so you need to um, go online and listen to it. Um, but it's, uh, he was there, he's just simply rejoicing that if anyone's a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're a son or daughter of the Father. You are saved by the Son and you are sealed by the Spirit. Three great reasons for any Christian to be assured of their faith. That's what we saw last week. So, and for that reason, he then goes on verses 15 and 16. Uh, we've had 15, and then he says in 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So stop and think before you pray. Don't just launch in. What has God done for you? If you're praying for the church here, what has God done for us here as God's people? What would we want to uh, thank him for particularly? And then we think through the people we'd like to pray for. And what can we pray for these people that's going to be the most helpful? Um, from time to time, as a staff, we pray every day together. And uh, not all day every day, but we do pray every day. And, uh, uh, well, not on a Saturday, because most of us have got a day off. But anyway, we can, um, uh, but from time to time, when we're praying together, I just say, guys, can we just slow down? Because I need to catch up. Because actually in between in, uh, people, uh, in, you know, Catherine praying and then say Jenny praying and Clive praying or something like that, then uh, uh, I just want to pause and have a think about what I might pray for and to sort of chew over for a few seconds what they've prayed for and so on. We need to try and be thoughtful in our prayers. And also, it just, you know, some people think a lot more quickly than I do, so, uh, um, so they can whiz in, that's fine, but I just need a bit of time to catch up. But there's also a reminder here as well um, that Paul had heard about the faith of the church in Ephesus. Now, maybe he knew them. He would have known some of them, I would guess. Uh, this could well be, I'm uh, not quite sure, but perhaps three years after he was actually there, maybe, maybe a bit longer. And, uh, uh, but also, he would have been kept in touch when he saw the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 on his way to Rome. And, uh, uh, but he's so... You know, he had kept in touch. He knew a bit about what was going on. Clearly, you can see that here in verses 15 and 16. So, let's try and keep in touch. Now, uh, I've tried to get ahead on, on life this uh, uh, last week or so, because uh, we send out a Christmas letter. 
Because, uh, because why? Why do we do that? And I've written it this last couple of weeks. And, uh, and why do we do that? Because we want to hear from other people. And we guess people might want to hear about us and we try not to, uh, uh, you know, make it into boast post and so on, as, uh, as sometimes one gets. But, uh, but what we want to do, we want to hear from other people. And if we get a Christmas card from someone, it's always lovely to get a Christmas card from someone, but if they just said, love, Norman or something, whatever, um, then, uh, and that's it, we feel a bit kind of cheated because we'd like to know some news. Because we, we want to know what's been going on in their lives and so on. So, uh, um, so... Um, so, as Christians, uh, we ought to have news, we'd love to have news of other people, so that we can pray for other people. And as Christian people, love to do that generally. That's, for instance, why we have news from our mission partners. Every week we have news from our mission partners, because we want to pray for them, we want to know what's going on. And that's why we have tea and coffee in church, for instance, so that we can share news with each other, so we can keep in touch, so we can be thoughtful and, and, and uh, informed as we pray. So thoughtful is the first thing. Second thing here is just... To, to be persistent. You notice 16 and 17? Um, uh, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, you in my prayers. And then beginning of verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so on. <clears throat> now, I guess that's not literal. I imagine he did sleep, but you get the idea. And it's that thankfulness to God whenever uh, we think of people, for instance. So we had the SGP conference yesterday. It was terrific. Uh, and I, I'm, whenever I think of and pray for the SGP, uh, pretty much every day, um, someone there I'll be praying for, and I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for this idea of, of starting a thing in the first place. It's been hugely supportive and influential. And it's a big thing now across Sussex. And we're very, very grateful to God for it. But of course, the, channel, uh, the challenge is to keep on praying, to keep on being thankful, to keep on keeping on. But that's what Paul did. He said, oh, yeah, I haven't stopped. I'm going to keep on going. I've got to, I, am, I imagine he probably had some kind of lists that he prayed through. I imagine he did that. And uh, uh, that's a good thing to have. Write down lists of people to pray for just to make sure you keep on going with that. Why not? You, I mean, this is a great thing. The SGP prayer diaries, they're now at the back of church there and they're on the shelf out there. I brought them back yesterday and they really help us to pray for other churches in Sussex. Grab one and use it. Our, our prayer diary here. And Jenny puts a lot of work into putting this together. It does a great job on this. So let's use it to keep us praying. That's what, some, you know, we need help to keep on praying, don't we? We need to encourage and help one another. And, that was, uh, and we've got some helps uh, for that to help us to do it. It was Churchill, I can't remember the exact uh, occasion, but he said, never give up, never give up, never, 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 never. That would be a really good thing for us to take on board for our praying, wouldn't it? And especially as we're praying for our non-Christian family members, for instance. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. We'll keep on going. We'll keep on praying. We will persist. Now, there's also thankfulness. Thoughtful, persistent, thankful in verse 16. So go back to verse 16 there. We've already talked a bit bit about this. When I was a child, I have to say the worst day of the year every year was December the 27th. Because my mum and dad would say after breakfast, right, it's time to uh, write the thank you letters. 
Now, we're a small, fam- we're a small family, so, uh, you know, not a lot of thank you letters to write, maybe four or five at the most. But I was just thinking, what, every year, I think, oh, what a chore, got to write, got to write these thank you letters. And, uh, uh, and unfortunately for some, thankfulness in our prayers also becomes something of a chore. It should be a delight, shouldn't it? When we look around, when I look, I'm looking at you now, and as you can look around and see the backs of people's heads and so on, but uh, that we should be filled with joy and thankfulness when you see the people who are here, when you see the people the Lord has brought to himself, when you remember uh, two people getting married uh, in September, for instance. So what a joyful, uh, James and Laura, that is, over there. Um, I've just caught my mind, my eye here. Uh, and so on. I could say something about virtually everyone who's here. And what a joy it is. And what thankfulness should arise from that, for instance. But for some it isn't. It can be a bit of a chore. It shouldn't be. Uh, way back in 1636, during the Thirty Years' War, the German pastor Martin Rinkart uh, is uh, said to have buried some 5,000 of his parishioners in just that one year, in 1636. That's an average of about 15 a day. His parish was ravaged by war and disease and economic disaster. People were starving. And in the midst of all this darkness and death, 5,000 funerals. And in the midst of all that, he penned the following mealtime grace for his children. You'll know the words. I think you'll know the tune as well. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. It's just sometimes good to pause and to thank the Lord. Maybe have a prayer time from time to time, which is purely thankfulness. Purely thankfulness. So, three things about how Paul prayed. Thoughtful, persistent, thankful. But the main thing I really want to focus on is what's going to come now. Because what do we pray for? Oh, there it goes. Oh, you missed that one as well, Don. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you when I'm going to click it next time. Okay. Um, so what to pray for? Now, I've been pretty deeply convicted uh, during 2019 uh, of how easy it is to pray what in my mind are probably rather disappointing prayers. Or uh, if you like in the vocabulary of this, uh, this particular sermon, prayers that weren't exactly, in inverted commas, proper, exclamation mark. So when we pray for one another... What does Paul pray for here? And what can we pray for as we pray for one another? I think this is quite challenging. The first thing is, know your God. We need to pray that the people we pray for would know their God. Know your God. Verses 15 to 17. Uh, or if you like, if you ever look at verse 17, to, uh, I love the end of verse, well, let's read the whole of verse 17. I keep asking, 
We've talked about that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Great thing to pray for one another. Pray for the person in front of you right now that they would know God better. And that's surely the most important thing. We can pray for each other, isn't it? That we would know God better. Now, this is, this is a persecuted church that Paul is writing to. It's not easy being a Christian in Ephesus. Not easy at all. And uh, Paul is um, uh, almost certainly writing this when he's under house arrest. And he's thinking, actually, my days of my life are numbered here. And it's, you know, remarkably, actually, we have no record of him ever asking uh, any other Christians to pray that he should be released. Because that's not the most important thing. No, the most important thing is the end of verse 17, that people would know God better. And how's it going to happen? It's going to happen by what he says just before that. Pray that our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, the spirit, capital S or little s? Well, it's uh, probably a capital S, actually. Uh, we have the spirit of Christ- as Christians, and we need to pray for each other. The Holy Spirit, who lives in our lives, would reveal God to us, and that we would have the wisdom to apply that wisely to our lives. That's, that's what he's saying here in verse 17. That the Spirit would reveal God to us. How does he do that? Well, it's preeminently through the Word of God whom he inspired. So the Holy Spirit inspired or literally breathed out. God breathed is what you've got on your laps reading it now. Is what we have here. He inspired or expired the word of God and we have that revelation of God and we want to pray for one another that the Spirit would take the word of God, help us to understand it, give us the wisdom to apply it wisely to our lives. That's what he's talking about in verse 17. So pray for yourself, pray for your friends that we would know God better, that God would reveal himself more to us, that we would with wisdom, understand that revelation, and we know him better and better and better every day of our lives. So, for instance, um, uh, I know a load of you were praying for Anna and me just earlier on this this year, and uh, uh, that was immensely encouraging to know that people were praying for us. We value that immensely. And I imagine... And we're very grateful that as you prayed for us when we were in India, one of the things you prayed for, I guess, quite a lot is that Anna would get better enough for us to be able to come home and so so on. And that was great. And God answered your prayers. And we're very, very grateful. I would love you also to pray that we would have known God. And I'm sure many of you did because you're biblical Christians, that you would also have been praying that we would get to know God better through a pretty interesting experience. That's what we want, isn't it? That's not what's what we all want. It's good to pray for one another when we're in tough times, that the Lord will help us through those. But I think we also need to pray that through those tough times, we would get to know the Lord better. Because at the end of the day, that is the most important thing, isn't it? It's a both and. So, know God better. That's the first thing. Second thing is know your hope. 
No, your hope. So in verse 18 there, um, we'll go to the first part of verse 18 in a moment, but uh, let's look at the, the, the second bit first. And he talks about the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Our inheritance is heaven, isn't it? But it can't be exactly what he means here, because he says the inheritance is in God's holy people. So somehow our inheritance, our short hope for the future, is actually within us now, right now. It's rich, it's glorious, and because you are, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it means our inheritance, which the Holy Spirit guarantees, which we saw in verse 13 and 14 there, is actually in us. So the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing the inheritance. He lives in us. And actually, uh, Paul is praying here that we would know that hope that we have. Rich and a glorious inheritance. And it's in us by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And uh, Paul is praying that Christian people in Ephesus, that they would know this. So look at the beginning of verse 18, or let's look at the whole verse now. I pray that the eyes of your heart, it's a strange phrase, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And what is that hope? The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That is the, uh, uh, the, the holy ones. That is us, Christian people. Now, the heart, the eyes of your heart. The heart here is, the word is cardia, from which we get um, uh, cardiac arrest and so on isn't it Um, and the heart is your whole thinking it's your feeling it's the inner you it's your uh, your understanding your emotional side of you it's a hidden part of you that's that's inside you and that makes you tick if you like and he's saying the eyes of your hearts and so for instance when you say oh i see That's the kind of thing he's saying. So he's saying that you would understand and you have a revelation and things, something would click and you just get it. You get it, you would understand and appreciate it, perhaps for the first time. A light bulb moment, many light bulb moments. And Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they would have this internal light bulb explosion. Well, not not an explosion, that wouldn't be quite so good, but uh, an internal light bulb moment so we'd know the hope we've got which actually lives within us by his Holy Spirit. Now we can pray for our friends, that. We can pray for one another tonight, that. That actually we would grow. We would understand more. We would know this hope that we have better and better. And we'd understand and see and rejoice in our hope of heaven, this rich and glorious inheritance, which is ours. It is ours. It lives within us. And can never be separated from us. So pray for one another that we would, in verse 18, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may, in order that we may know the hope. That is personal knowledge. Know the hope to which he called you. This riches of his glorious inheritance. And it's in us right now. Pray that we'd know it better. It's a wonderful hope.
And then the, the third thing he prays for, so know your God, know your hope. And the third thing to pray for each other, for instance, is know your power, know God's power. And that's verses 19 to 23. Now, here, if you like, Paul kind of, he gets, he's a really enthusiastic guy, isn't he? And he goes off on one towards the end here. And he's not just talking about prayer, but he's talking about Jesus and Jesus' power and how Jesus had over everything for the church. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, first of all, verse, beginning of verse 19. And he wants them also to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That, that means uniquely great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And then he goes off and explains more about that. But who's that in, in, incomparably great power for? Or it could be it could be translated an exceeding greatness of his power. Who's it for? Us. You. Me. The church. Christians. And actually it's only for Christians. No one else in this world has this power. Just Christian people. And Paul prays that Christians would know the power that is exclusively ours. And it's huge. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that has seated Jesus in heaven. It's the same power which, verse 21, is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It's the same power which, verse 22, uh, has God placed, uh, has enabled, uh, through which God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appoints him to be head over everything. That's not qualified in any way. Jesus is just head over everything. You can think of anyone, anything in this entire universe, and Jesus is the head of it, over it, has authority over it. And it is that same power that we have in our lives. It's the same power which has defeated death and will destroy it. It is the greatest and the most powerful power in the universe, and it's yours. And it's mine. And Paul is praying that the church in Ephesus would know it, would experience it, would use it, would see it changing their lives. Now, what's this power for exactly? Now, this is really important because all sorts of Christians just look at a power and they think, great, what would I like it to be for? But we need to go to the Bible and ask ourselves, so what is it for? And we have to look at the context. Because some people would say, well, obviously it is, you know, a, a power for a great healing ministry or something like that, to do marvellous things in the lives of other people, to release people from satanic oppression and possession. Some people would say, wrongly, in my view, it's a power to raise people from the dead now and to do all sorts of miraculous things. No. I don't think it is that at all. Uh, I'm sure nothing was further from Paul's mind, actually. What's this power for? Well, look at the context. It's a big thing. You want to know and understand the Bible? Look at the context. So look at verses 1 to 23, and also read the next bit. We're going to look at that next week uh, in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10. That's where we find out what the power is for. And we see clearly it's a power of the gospel. 
And it's the power of the gospel to save people, to bring people from darkness to light, from death to life, to change people's lives as they know God better and as they have the eyes of their hearts enlightened and know the hope that lives within them. It's gospel power to change lives from the inside out for all eternity. And we're the only people who have this gospel power which is ours when we're in Jesus. You will find that power nowhere else in this world, just in the Christian church. Well, I think I'll stop there. Just a couple of other things to say. But first of all, just to recap, pray that others, when you pray for others, pray that we'd know God, we'd know God better. Pray that people would be enlightened so they would know the hope that we have. And they would love it and cherish it and rejoice in it and know the power that is available for all of us uh, to help other people turn to Christ, to change other people's lives, to change our lives, to be getting the sin out of our lives and so on. But I just want to point two things at the end of the passage, because there are two verses about Jesus in verses 22 and 23, which are just extraordinary uh, things that we need to know. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Two extraordinary statements. We don't have time to do now, but I'd love you to read that, chew over it this week, and to pray about that and to praise God. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything. We get that, don't we? But he's done it for the church. He's done it for us, right here, right now. We are the beneficiaries, the beneficiaries, the sole beneficiaries of Jesus' extraordinary authority over everything. And then the second thing, which is even more mind-boggling, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that's Jesus, who fills everything in every way. Now, that is an extraordinary thing that is very difficult to grasp, I think. Um, It could mean that the church fills or completes Christ, like filling a tank with petrol. And actually, that's what uh, Calvin thought it meant. Uh, And as a general rule, never argue theology with John Calvin, because you'll always lose. Um, But it's worth going home and meditating on that and marvelling at those verses maybe reading one or two commentaries if you have them at home and wonder at the power you have in Jesus and ask him to help you by this power to live for him this week let's pray for each other let's pray that we would know our God know our hope and know our power. There's one more transition for Don Bawtry to look up for. Let's get praying properly. <laughs>